Hi, everyone, and welcome to Don't Run Into Glass. This is episode four. I'm Geti. And I'm Anika. And Anika, what are we chatting about today? Today, we're talking about the air. Can you hear it in my voice? Is it hoarse? <laughs> <laughs> You're clearly not happy. And neither am I, man. My eyes are stinging. My head is hurting. Um, yeah, I'm miserable as well. I have to tell you two things. I just, um, you remember that Russell Peters skit um, uh, stand up that came up where he talked about when he first came to India and when he stepped out of the airplane in Bombay, it was like a, a cloud of shit smell that went into his nose. Well, yeah. I had the opposite experience. When I went from Delhi to Bombay, I came out of the flight and I was like, oh, fresh air. <laughs> I know and that's what it's come to it's like literally like I mean and you know we always have this Delhi Bombay rivalry and I think we all have to now finally just admit that Bombay has uh, won <laughs> just by virtue air. in the context of air yes <laughs> I know just by virtue of having cleaner air yeah it's it's actually been quite horrid I was driving back to um, home today in the morning it seemed nice and then I looked up from my phone onto the street and I saw an orange sun again at like 3.30 in the afternoon, driving to the north of Delhi, I could see the pollution coming towards me. It was quite uh, strange. It sort of reminded me of that show, Lela, which got banned a few years ago in India, where we had uh, Huma Qureshi and Rahul Khanna. And I remember there were scenes of like black rain. I promise you, Gethi, today, if it rains and I just take a white tissue paper outside, there would be spots of black. I think we are living in Lela right now. No, and you know, I know you laugh, but it's so true, Anika, because this is actually, it really feels like a dystopian reality. Like I was telling somebody that when I, when I leave the house in Delhi, I have to wear a mask for the pollution and COVID, both of course, COVID, all right, the world is dealing with, but for pollution additionally in India. And then I have to spray myself with mosquito repellent because of dengue, you know? So it's like I'm walking out into the apocalypse or something. I'm, it's either mosquitoes that are going to kill me or the air or this new virus. And uh, yeah, it's just bizarre. It is dystopia. It is how you would imagine dystopia to be. And we're living in it. Yeah. And I kind of feel bad whenever I pay a bill anywhere, when I see the bill come to me and they say, Swatch Bharat tax. And I'm just like, guys, can you hear my voice? <laughs> I know. It's really terrible. In fact, yeah, it's, I think when you and I wanted to, when we were discussing what to discuss for this particular podcast, I think we independently were just like, we need to talk about the pollution. It's yeah. just, there's, it's, I know it's been spoken about, it's coming out of our ears to some degree, but it's just a problem that isn't going away. It's not getting any better, no matter how many promises the government is making, um, private citizens are taking it up, nothing's changing. Yeah, I'm, I mean, we just are sitting in the backlog of a huge conference that happened on climate change. We personally know so much, so many people who are trying to do such wonderful things to combat this thing. But I guess, uh, you know, it's kind of scary for all of us um, living this reality as of now. But in that context, I wanted to ask you, Gethi, I'm feeling sick. My eyes are watering. My eyes are hurting. But you just had a baby. You have a small little child in New Delhi. How are you protecting your baby from this terrible pollution? You know, Anika, I need to admit to you that I actually live with a lot of guilt. Like, it's literally like when I walk out in the morning and I take my baby out for half a second just to show her like the outside I just like I'm confronted with guilt because of course you know I'm choosing to raise a child in what is essentially the most polluted city in the world and there is no escaping the data like if you look at the data then 
people who live in Delhi, our life expectancy is reduced by maybe nine and a half years. That's what they say. Right. Um, on school going children, one out of three has chronic asthma. I so, know of you. It's a lot of guilt. And yet, of course, we we live here, this is home and Delhi has a lot of uh, positive attributes as well. But the pollution is something I really grapple with. And of course, now my entire house is fitted with air purifiers. I think I've spent a fortune, like all of us on air purifiers, on uh, filters, and we're fortunate enough to do that. But when my kid wants to go out, because that's what she wants to do, and I can't let her, it's yeah. a very, um, you know, it, it, it's a very strange position to be in as a parent. It's something that I haven't really been able to come to terms with. And I keep thinking, should I be in Delhi? Should I actually think about relocating elsewhere where my kid has access to fresh air? Um, and that is, it is a dilemma that I'm confronted with, which is very sad because I actually love the city. So, yeah, same you know, here. I can't call any other city home and I feel so uncomfortable leaving the city. But, you know, I want to go back to that point of spending a fortune. I actually sat down and calculated in the past two years, I've spent close to two lakhs just on air purifiers. And I'm talking not about my family home. I'm talking about a small apartment that is a, that is fitting for one person. I have to put an air purifier in every room. And when I buy the air purifier, I have to, according to the instructions, change the air filters once in six to 12 months. And funnily enough, I bought a huge, big company. I'm not going to name the company, but a well-known company, big air purifier, expensive one, right? When I went to get the new filters, the air purifier was out of model. And I had to go somewhere else to buy an air filter to put into that. So I calculated it was yeah, close to two lakhs that I spent just on an air purifier on a single household serving one person. Yeah, it's incredible. It's 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 it's. I'm just getting scared trying to think about what are the other people doing and how do they live with this? Because sometimes at night when I didn't put on the air purifier, when I thought, no, not yet, maybe later, um, I woke up in the middle of the night smelling a burnt smell. And I can't get that smell or that sensory experience out of my mind because it scared the hell out of me. The next morning I woke up, it wasn't even Diwali that time, you know. I woke up, I went outside and I saw a deep orange sun. So dystopic, so disturbing. Yeah, and you know, that's I think what you've said here that it's not just during Diwali, I think that's key because we all think that, you know, Delhi's air is bad for two months in a year. That's not true. I was reading again an article that said that Delhi's only had five days of good air in the last five years. Can you imagine? We've had five days in five years of what is considered good air. So even if the air is not in the hazardous and severely polluted category in like, let's say, March and April, it's still polluted air that we're breathing every single day. And I think for me, what's the most disappointing, Anika, is the lack of resolve of our governments to actually do enough about it. We keep hearing crop burning, and I understand and completely relate to the fact that Crop burning is a huge issue and it's, it is a contributor to air pollution in Delhi. But there are other pollutants as well. And what I feel that the governments are just doing is playing a blame game. The Delhi government blames the union government. The union government blames the Delhi government. And the whole thing has become this kind of like rhetoric around crop burning. But what about the other pollutants that are very much under the state government's control or the union government's control, which are not really being you know, not much is being done about those. I'm going to give you a story. In fact, I actually had to get a POA, uh, a power of attorney made for some work. And um, so I had to get it registered at the sub-registrar's office. And it turns out that the Delhi government has gone ahead and shut the all government offices because of air pollution, which is fine. But why is it such a knee-jerk reaction to everything? Why can't you make a systematic effort to control pollutants the year around why is it only done when you know suddenly the news is saying that 
pollution is really bad and we're all crying about it. There has to be a consolidated effort to do something about pollution rather than just blaming each other, right? Yeah, and talking about consolidated efforts, something that really grinds my gears, right? I completely agree with you on the knee-jerk reaction. And the one of the visible things that I have seen the Delhi government do this year in terms of air pollution, and this is what grinds my gears, is actually make people stand at red lights to turn your engine off. Those people get paid a fair amount. And if you do research, it will actually surprise you that there are two people getting paid just to hold a banner up um, a certain amount. I think uh, what I've heard is around 30,000 rupees. Now, this is what bothers me about this. The government generally is very quick onto these awareness programs that cost a fair amount of taxpayers' money rather than actually putting in certain fixes into the system, existing systems that make a long-term uh, difference, you know? And that's something that continues to bother me. And the politics of this entire blame game that also you talked about continues to bother me. I feel like all changes these days seem to be made in terms of optics, but nothing very, very strategically and long-term sustainably done, you know? Yeah, that's what it is. And I think you and I were talking and we were like, we don't remember the air being this bad in Delhi like while we were growing up. And, you know, this, this not is- Not even while we were growing up. I think while it was early 2000s, it was not so bad. It is only in the past seven to eight years that we have started noticing, maybe less, but seven to eight years that we started noticing, yes, we had the rhetoric of the smog that used to come out, or come out in Delhi, but it never used to be so bad that you would be woken up in the middle of the night with the smell of burning something, you know? Uh, but it's been in the past last less than a decade and I wonder why uh, this shoot up has happened you know and I, I constantly try to think about what what does the data say and is the data even trustworthy because it feels like the Supreme Court is also addressing this matter and then said it's not crop burning essentially which surprised me because I remember a few years ago there was like satellite remote sensing images of crop burning happening and the wind actually carrying this heavy fog towards Delhi for a protracted amount of period where the pollution became terrible. So I'm not too sure as to what really is happening and how true this blame game or the measures taken by the government actually are. Yeah, and I think that's what we'll be asking our expert who's joining us today, Tamsil. We'll be asking him specifically about what exactly has contributed to air pollution. Um, why are we seeing an increase over the last few years and what can effectively be done about it? But um, yeah, I think that is exactly what it is. We 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 don't really know uh, what's the major contributor. And I think we're all just sort of, you know, we, we know that during Diwali, you're burning crackers. That definitely contributes to it. Crop pollution contributes to it. Construction, like, you know, there's a construction construction site next to my house, the amount of debris and dust that that construction site sort of produces on a day-to-day -day basis is absolutely insane. And you can stop construction for three days or a week during this peak time when the pollution is bad, but you have to have measures in place that force construction sites to minimize pollutants. But none of that is really done, you know? So that's, that's, that's something that I think is a lack of resolve on the mm -hmm. part of our governments, um, which is disappointing. So again, it comes back to, do I want to live in this city? <laughs> and that's yeah. tragic, you know, I laugh, but that's sort of the tragic um, outplay of all of this. Surely. And while we speak about the government, I think uh, a lot of times the government also puts the onus on us, right? So I also want to talk about us a little bit, like what 
can we do to reduce pollution in our daily lives? And maybe Tamsil can sort of uh, give us a little bit more insight onto that. Uh, but yes, I always hate when the government always switches the onus on the people when the systems aren't really in place. Uh, but I'm still curious because sustainability should become uh, an important part of our life and how we can kind of not only um, uh, reduce uh, air pollution from our own homes, but also kind of report air pollution. For example, the biggest problem that I see in North uh, West Delhi is trash burning. Trash burning happens at such a large scale. Um, every time I go to the mountains as well, it happens. And it's, why does it happen? Um, because my native village where my dad comes from is on the outskirts of Delhi, but very much within the boundaries of Delhi. For the longest time, there was no trash disposal facility from um, the, the local government office. So what did that entire, and it's a very heavily populated area. If you know this area called Narela, it's a very, very heavily and highly industrialized populated area. While the industrial sector is there, there are no trash trucks going around. So everyone, the entire population is essentially just burning their trash and forget segregating, it's plastics and everything that is just burning in every corner that you would walk around. It looks like a cremation ground of trash, essentially, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, it's like we started off joking and now we sort of, whenever we talk about the pollution in the city, you always end up <clears throat> despondent um, with scratchy throats and stinging eyes. Um, but let's get them seal on now and uh, jump into a conversation and let's let's try and clarify some of these questions that we've raised for ourselves. You know, what are the pollutants? Uh, what can we do about it? What can we do at an individual level? What can governments do? Uh, so let's jump into that conversation now. Let's do it. Welcome to Tamsil. We are so happy to ha have you on board. We've been talking about you this whole time. Tamsil, for our audience and our listeners, can you introduce yourself and the work you do? Great. Uh, Anika, I'm so happy to be here and I'm really, really excited uh, during this grim time, especially when we have such bad air pollution everywhere. Um, I run LepiBreed.in, which is one of India's largest climate change and sustainable storytelling platform where People tell stories and decision makers and various experts come together to find a solution to this big problem that the world is facing called climate change. And air pollution is one of the factors connected to it. Great. Thanks, Tamsil. And, you know, Anika and I were sort of chatting right before you uh, joined us. And we were wondering you know, what exactly has contributed to this air crisis in Delhi. I know you're not in Delhi right now, but honestly, Anika and I, we were just complaining about our stinging eyes and our scratchy throats. And, you know, you look outside, it's all gray, it's incredibly polluted. And I don't know if we're looking at our childhood through rose-tinted glasses, but it didn't seem like growing up in Delhi was that bad. So my question to you is, has the air pollution problem in Delhi gotten worse in the last decade, or has it always been this bad? And what is contributing to it? So I've I would answer this in two ways, right? Obviously, air pollution in Delhi was always evident. It's not like a new problem, right? Uh, and when I think Sheila Dixit converted a lot of vehicles to CNG and you saw a very strong impact. I still remember during the 90s when you used to travel through the area of Green Park, uh, the Indian oil building used to show you the temperature and that building was literally like engulfed in a dark smog, right? Uh, but what has happened is that after CNG, five years, six years went down, in the last five years, five to six years, Delhi's air pollution has become very evident. 
right? And one of the reasons is that Delhi's strategic geographical location, and that's one of the reasons because it's located between Haryana, Punjab, and all these areas, where a lot of the states and neighboring states have thermal power plants and coal plants, which actually emit a lot of pollution, which comes into Delhi. Delhi's own local air pollution source is really high, especially when it comes to vehicular pollution, right? Major source of contribution for Delhi is, these are two sources of like really high air pollution that contributes throughout the year, right? And base burning and a lot of these activities that people do in general, that's something which is a high contribution. Now let's look at a very big factor, which is which has become a political issue in the last five, six years, which is stubble burning. Stubble burning, which actually starts as a season much earlier than the air pollution we see in Punjab and Haryana. These are farm fires which actually happen because it's the cheaper source for farmers to actually burn stubble instead of like cut the parali that they cut. Like you're supposed to have, I think, I think it's like four inches parali above the ground and it's very difficult to cut. And there are lots of solutions that the government has offered and that people have done to have subsidized stubble burning solutions, but it's never been acted upon by farmers because it's obviously very expensive. It contributes very less to air pollution, but during this time, because of the geographical situation we're in and during winter and during the weather that is weather changes that are happening, the air pollution and the pollution gathers up and becomes very visible for us, right? And that's when you can taste the air, when you can see the air, when you can breathe, and when you can't breathe, sorry, when you can't breathe while the air is really evident and thick. And that's when it becomes really thick and we start getting really worried. But if you track the air quality index throughout the year, you can actually start seeing the difference. We saw a massive change when there was a lockdown, right? During COVID, there were no cars on the roads, your AQI was 60, you could actually see birds. And a lot of people started clicking pictures of birds outside their homes. But when you look at it now, as soon as the lockdown started opening, there's a lot of vehicular pollution that happens. And, and again, we're in a situation where we are trapped and we are stuck. In 2019, there were thousands of people who came, took the streets to find a solution. But in a simple solution, we're in this reason, uh, where, where in a situation like this is because there's a lack of collective action by the state government, uh, by three state governments in the center, and by, by us as citizens. So these are two reasons why we're in a situation this and we can't Absolutely. breathe and we want to tell you yeah i think Gethi and me were talking about this uh you know blame game that goes on and you know tamseel i can speak to what it is to be from a farming community and how yeah. difficult it is for villagers to pick on whatever the government is even providing because actually the village systems are so set that what the government provides does not acknowledge the existing social and economic structures in the village where yeah. I actually grow wheat and rice. And when I have the stubble there, we generally have a sharing uh, uh, methodology for our agriculture, but hmm. access doesn't always readily come. You have to do a lot of paperwork, a lot, lot of G Hazuri, or, you know, go to the office yeah. to actually access those. So I can actually speak to that firsthand when that happens. And you also said vehicular pollution, you said sub stubble burning. And, you know, there's a lot of interrelated things, vehicular pollution, you know, cars became so easy to buy in India, right? Now every household is supposed to be built on stilts because there are way too many cars and you need to park them inside your houses because there's not enough parking outside. So all yeah. of this seems co uh, connected. And thus the situation's got gotten so bad that the Supreme Court has intervened. And now that the Supreme Court has intervened and is trying to cut across the rhetoric, um, can you kind of give us a snapshot um, idea of where this is going, what is happening with the Supreme Court, and what should we look forward to in terms of ruling in our favor, in terms of better air? 
Well, you, you're asking someone who's been working on this issue for five years, and I have seen the Supreme Court intervene multiple times before. I think they did it in 2019, but there was a lot of citizen action that happened. Um, so the Supreme Court intervention, mainly if you notice this time, which I found very interesting because it's inspired by a lot of COVID issues that we face as citizens, where the Supreme Court said, work from home construction activities should be banned. Why is the state not taking action? What I felt was, I think it's very, I like how Supreme Court acts as a parental organization to the state governments that are there to make sure that they can come together and actually take action, especially when things become really bad. But what we do did see a lot of, like, like for example, I know the Delhi government started working on controlling air pollution much before, but they started a campaign on air pollution where they also started a campaign to make sure that you drive less, the EV policies that have been rolled up by the uh, Delhi government is very strong. But I think one of the biggest factors where the Supreme Court comes in is that the coordination between Haryana, Delhi and Punjab and the center is very critical. And I feel like even this time, uh, the Supreme Court has emphasized that why on earth are all of you not working together? And I think uh, I would like to mention Aditya Dube and I think listeners get a chance, you should definitely Google Aditya Dube, who's a 17-year-old activist who started his activism career by actually getting Burger King in India to ban plastic. And he suddenly took out, like, he's been wow. working on action for the last three to four years, right? He literally, I mean, it's an interesting story. I don't know if we have time for that, but he's very critical in bringing together the legal aspect of things when it comes to air pollution being reduced, right? By not air pollution being reduced, but the legal course on air pollution by Supreme Court and the and the community formed by the Supreme Court, which was formed, I think, last year. Um, and what I found out, the data was very interesting. 24,000, and this is a National Geographic article, and I think you can Google it as well, where 24,000 deaths have actually happened potentially because of air pollution and 7,300 deaths are directly linked to COVID. I don't know how much of this data is true, but if you Google that article, it actually gives a very strong case in the last one. There was 2020 specifically. These deaths are accounted for 2020. This becomes a very critical factor, right? Air pollution and issues connected to your lungs are very, very serious. And if you uh, search for what Dr. Arvind Kumar really talks about, he's the head of Medanta. He's a lung specialist in Medanta, and he's been very critical in fighting the air pollution fight. The impact, the lungs he sees, and this powerful video he talks about is the lungs of a child who's not a smoker are dark and black, right? And lungs of a smoker, they're not much of a difference now. So it doesn't matter if you smoke in Delhi or if you don't smoke in Delhi because you're actually breathing this poisonous air. Um, and lastly, just last data point I'd like to just mention, not a data point, but if you really want to know the holistic solution, there's this documentary called Airpocalypse, which we were involved in making, which aired, in, aired on National Geographic very recently. It really shows you the, the issues that we face as citizens and why as citizens we are not taking action. As citizens, we are blaming the government. The state governments are blaming each other. The farmers are blaming the government. The government is blaming the farmers for stubble burning and no solution is being offered. Like a simple thing, when you get a pollution check in Delhi, there's very strict rules to get it, right? But you can get a fake pollution check in Gurgaon now for Delhi. And these are things which we slowly need to start changing, um, keeping our economy and development in mind as well. Yeah, that's super, like, I mean, a lot of what you have said has just hit the nail on the head for us, you know, like it is a lack of collective action. And I think we can blame everybody for it or not blame and introspect a little bit on ourselves as well. But I wanted to ask you, Tamsil, you were at COP26 recently, and there has been a lot of media response to the conference saying that it was a failure. 
Now, yeah, is is what? What's your take on that? Was it a failure? Was anything achieved? Um, uh, I ask, I, before you answer, sorry. I ask this question because you know we we focus the entire conversation on air pollution on state governments and the union government in Punjab and Haryana and Delhi. But what exactly is happening on the international stage and where is India's role there as well? Um, oh, so I so there are multiple ways I can answer the question. I disagree with the fact that the overall COP26 was a complete failure. I don't think it was a failure. There were a lot of historical decisions that were made this time. Uh, and obviously there are a lot of decisions which we're not missing. For example, if the countries do not commit and do not change the ways, especially towards uh, cutting down emissions, we're actually headed towards a 2.4 degree uh, track instead of a 1.5 degree. And that's what we call a project 1.5. In order to make sure that the world's temperature does not rise by 1.5, we're not on track. Right. So in that sense, you would say that it could be a potential failure. But there have been a lot of historical wins during the COP26. So if I have to quickly summarize it, the first win has been that there's been a document. Uh, sorry, one second. I've actually written down pointers because there were so many. Like when you actually enter COP, there are about 200 meetings happening every day. And in order to track, it becomes really, really hard. So one of the biggest things is that there's been a breakthrough agreement on fossil fuels. And it was a taboo. Fossil fuels never entered a final agreement because it directly hampers development and economy. But for the first time, fossil fuels were a major, major discussion. And you actually see it on the Glasgow Pact, right, which has been formed, which is a huge, huge deal. And about 45% of emissions have to be like under 45% by 2030 which is an agreement that has happened in Glasgow, which is huge. It's not easy. The biggest factors that also remain is that the biggest taboo was that rich countries are not contributing enough to developing countries and poor countries, which are directly impacted by climate change, right? Although they are contributing towards climate change at a very, very less level, but the rich countries are contributing to bit more. The whole issue of climate finance has still not been solved. There have been very vague commitments towards the amount of money being put towards adaptation um, and resilience when it comes to climate change, when most of the money, which is what everybody's excited towards, is mitigation. Why? Because it actually adds to the economy. Let's say EVs, let's say like renewable energy. These are strong things that actually add to the economies of rich and poor countries more. And that's what everybody's interested in. But the biggest thing is that adaptation and resilience is something which is very, very important. So it was a mixed result. Um, and there are a lot of other things. I think for me, the biggest moment, especially when you're at COP, was when US and China came together to actually make sure that this uh, would be reduced, right? And their partnership, especially after the Trump era and everything, which was a very, very huge turn of events where actually people will be held accountable to reduce emissions. So these were top things which actually worked at COP and a lot of losses that happened is that we are actually not on track to meet the emissions of 1.5, where we actually see like the big exodus that is happening in Delhi. Like right now I'm not in Delhi because I can't breathe. I know my 60% of the Let Me Breathe team is down and sick because of air pollution. Um, one of our creators who's in Tuvalu found it so hard to take off from his island, right? Because his island is submerged under the sea. And there's so many stories you see around climate change where communities are directly being impacted. The thing is, it's a little too late to actually take decisions like this, but we're not at a track where there is no hope. So in my opinion, COP26, there's a lot of hope. And COP27, is very critical, especially when it happens in Egypt, because the pressure will be much higher. So I disagree with the fact when Greta Thunberg comes inside the COP26 menu and says, this is all greenwashing, because it's not. There's a massive communication gap between what happens inside the venue 
and what happens outside the venue. And I think that gap needs to be bridged for a healthier communication towards saving this planet. Yeah, that's crucial. I think that's yeah. totally crucial. And I guess your stories that, uh, you know, that uh, um, Let Me Breathe uh, tells at an individual level helps clarify that and bridge that. And I think you spoke right now about, you know, how people are moving out of the city. Uh, a lot of people are leaving a city like Delhi, which is the most polluted city. And funnily enough, let's go back a little bit, like a walk down memory lane, right? Remember when Delhi used to be called the greenest city in the world, like had the biggest tree cover and having traveled around so many places, I do appreciate appreciate the greenery in the city. It's not only old growth uh, trees that are in the city, but like plant a sapling was part of our school life, right? right? Similarly, Delhi was another city that very early on took on, like you uh, uh, earlier mentioned, um, uh, transitioning to the CNG model. You know, yeah. my father was an army officer. And it uh, when CNG uh, stations were being given out, uh, it was army officers who were being invited to take on CNG stations. Oh, so I my father actually managed a CNG station. And you know, it was great business because it was, um, uh, you know, people buses and all public transportation was switched to that and the facility of even cars switching to CNG I rode in a CNG car and it was so funny because the boot actually did not count because it was a huge <laughs> cylinder at the back now while we say this all in jest right like a lot a lot of steps we've all taken yet we sit in Delhi um, uh, taking the only individual steps of sort of moving out. We all know someone who has left the city and moved to another city. A lot of people are moving to Goa. Um, uh, an entire exodus of uh, family members has happened to places where they can breathe easy, especially older people. You know, I see my mother also saying that I'm facing issues over here. I need to move out of this city. Um, and she actually lives in, on the outskirts of the city in a farmhouse, but that doesn't count because she's right on the crossway of Haryana and Delhi, which where she gets the first amount of first uh, pollution coming towards her with the winds, right? Yeah. So this is one thing I want to ask you. Here's my question at an individual level, right? Me, Geti, you in our homes, what are the urgent measures that we can take in terms of being conscious towards air pollution, number one? And number two, what are the resources do we have at hand where we can even report? Like for example, I always see trash burning, but who do I call? I always trust the cops to see the smoke rise up in the air and come to the, but that never happens. Cops are also yeah. overstretched. So what's the reporting mechanism and what can I do, you know? So, uh... Wow, this is, I mean, I love the way you actually framed the exodus. And, and that's the biggest issue that the world will face as climate change becomes really bad. Uh, we've seen a link between the Syrian crisis and climate change. We've seen a link between the, some of the biggest exodus that is happening, which is refugees moving from one area to another, to like people in Delhi to save their children, to save the future of the children moving to other states. I think it's, it's a very big issue that we're going to face. Um, in simple terms, I think the first and the most important thing is to not hesitate from taking climate action. Every like, every share, every little step you take towards climate action and adding your voice adds a really, really huge uh, momentum towards really holding people accountable towards climate action. And I think taking small measures, which are as simple as leading a sustainable lifestyle, it starts off with like really eliminating plastic from your life, um, reducing food waste um, to like 
really not trying to use your vehicle as much as you can. We have a great public transport system. I don't think it's that bad in Delhi. Trying to use more and more public transport, trying to use more carpool is something that would really, really add value to basic lifestyles that you can change. I think the second thing to remember is that when you actually see others doing, CPCB, which is the Central Pollution Board, has this beautiful mechanism. If you actually simply tweet this picture out of waste burning, they take immediate action. And we've seen this on, let me read Twitter. I think the biggest thing we see is a lot of people reporting base burning, a lot of people reporting firecracker. But like this time, I think firecrackers were supposed to be banned, which kind of didn't happen. Oh. Yeah, and uh, and there are a lot of measures which are immediately taken. And I think they're very good in responding to it. So I would suggest as a, if you see base burning anywhere, a simple picture would create that impact. I think the biggest thing we also need to keep in mind, if you see someone cutting a tree, which is a rampant thing. It might seem like planting saplings is very important, but we're a country who's, which is developing and we need development to survive. Our biggest challenge is how do we make sure that development is sustainable? How do we not eradicate forest cover? And how do we save our city trees as well? The city trees that you're talking about in Delhi are in danger. And the amount of trees being cut are very huge. So I think reporting that becomes very important. Conserving trees and saving trees becomes very important. I think one thing to Google over here is Bhavreen Kandari has been has a data of how many trees have been cut everywhere in India, and she's tracking that. So if you just Google her, you would actually find some amazing data that she's tracking of saving trees. So a lot of these actions, which are really towards a sustainable lifestyle, really, really helps. And I think it's it's as a vegetarian country, we're already taking a step towards promoting vegetarian stuff, but like when it comes, because it matters, right? Eating meat is obviously something which also matters and it directly impacts climate change. But most important thing is leading towards a sustainable lifestyle um, to control air pollution and controlling your own things. But it doesn't mean that the state governments and governments are not responsible. So climate action becomes the most important thing to do, which is what we tell everyone. And tell your stories, it helps. I have, I have to, yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry, um, I have two urban myths that I want to clarify with you, okay? Yeah. Um, maybe we all don't know the answers of it, but it's been going around as, as myths. The first is, somebody once told me that when you have a very dense tree cover in a city, then actually the pollution is held yes. down closer to the earth. Is that true? Uh, I think we saw Beijing happen because it actually overplanted the amount of trees and there was a blue smog which formed around the city. It's it's, I don't know if the pollution is trapped inside, and I think that's something we can check with CE, uh, CEE to really see the exact research around it. But overplanting of trees is definitely an important thing. But at the same time, we're not there yet. Beijing overplanted trees like anything. We're not there yet. We have a far, far way to go. But Gethi, do you remember like everyone's Instagram story who's coming, flying back into Delhi around this time is them coming down from a flight <laughs> and this like cover of gray, like 50 shades of gray over this city. Um, and I always thought it was because of that tree cover. The second myth that I want to clarify with you, someone once told me that the crop cycle has changed and matched with a certain wind pattern that actually hmm. carries the crop burning, um, even though crop burning might not be the main result of pollution or the main pollutant, but it, it is traveling over a long distance because it matches a certain wind pattern that goes over Delhi. Um, is that true? Um, yes. And I think that's one of the things that when you when you go and talk to farmers in Punjab, that's the first thing they talk about. And there's a historical connect to it. When the Green Revolution actually happened 
in Punjab where everybody is forced to grow certain kind of crops which are wheat and rice. That was the biggest thing, which I think now 35 years, 40 years later or 35 years later, a lot of farmers, a unanimous voice that you hear in Punjab is that they need to diversify their crops. And I think the specific crop that is being burnt here, which causes a lot more stubble burning. And I think that's one of the major reasons which a lot of farmers are citing. But like you mentioned, the crop burning, the wind, it's the geographical location of the city, which actually traps air more over here. Because when you go to Punjab, you don't see the same kind of air pollution, right? When you come to a city like Delhi, you see that air being condensed and gathered over here during winter. Um, as we briefly mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, yes. Interesting. Thanks for uh, actually clarifying those myths because, you know, you do hear a lot of these things regurgitated and you never really know what are the facts on that. But we are running out of time and I have like one last question for you, Tamsil. And this is probably because I've just been silently sitting, kind of like going through like a bit of an existential crisis because I had a baby like, you know, nine months ago and I'm sort of locked in with air purifiers and I'm choosing to raise my child in Delhi, and even if we escape uh, from Delhi, climate, the climate crisis is a global problem. So my yeah. question, just the last question to end this is, as somebody who's involved in the climate movement, are you optimistic um, about the future? Well, so th this is what I realized about myself at COP. People who are optimistic are very hopeful and positive and are able to create change faster. People who are pessimistic will always be sad and angry about everything that's happened because the way people actually, um, it's very important to realize, Kathy, right? We're doing this podcast. This is the fifth to sixth year of air pollution where we've been breathing it every day. You have a child, you are, you have the right to be worried about your child's future because you're living in a city where you have no control over the air pollution. But when the first time people saw smog, they were in panic because when you get out of the city, you can't breathe and there was no data to support it, right? So you didn't know why this air is bad. And it took about a year or two to get air quality sensors installed across Delhi to make sure that you are tracking it, you're tracking the source of air pollution, so that we're sitting here in a podcast and we're able to say that the AQI of Delhi is 380 today, I think 380, 400, yeah. right? And it wasn't possible. There's data to the sphere and there's a solution to the sphere and hopelessness that we feel. It's up to us how much collective action we can take and how we can hold the governments accountable to make sure that we can get what we want. So I, I'm always gonna be hopeful because it is our planet, it is our city. And just because systems don't work doesn't mean we lose hope. Thank you. In fact, that that I think we needed to end that on a slightly positive note because yeah. it's been it's been you know because this is an issue that sort of very directly affects us and a lot of yeah. the past conversations that Anika and I have had. The issue, of course, does impact you, but it's a larger issue that you can sort of like insulate yourself from a little bit. This is so. I mean, it hits too close to home, you know. Um, yeah. so thank you, thank you for joining us and uh, sort of clarifying so many things that you you know you read about or you talk about, but you really helped pin it all down and explain it to us. Thank uh, you. Thank you, Kathy. And thank you, Anika. It was an amazing conversation. I love how short and crisp it was. It was so difficult for me to not give more detail and put a full stop after it, which is nice. Yeah. We will do a part two because we could I think, <laughs> all use like, <laughs> but we're going to let you go now. Thank you. Thank you.